you can go ahead and grab a seat. And after you're seated, find 1 Peter chapter 1 in your Bible. That's where we're going to be for the majority of our time together this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1. This is the final part in our series called Share. The stories that we tell, the stories that you tell, they matter. And in week one, we were challenged to share who we were without Jesus. So who were you before Jesus saved you? Who were you? We all have a pre-Jesus history. What's yours? We were encouraged to share how Jesus got your attention. As we have these faith conversations, as you share the gospel, as you share your faith story with those who are around you, how did Jesus get your attention? And this whole idea, this whole message in week one came from Acts chapter 22, where we looked at Paul and his testimony of how he became a follower of Jesus Christ. So he shared how Jesus got his attention with those who were listening. Now, for those of us in the room, I highly doubt that it was a blinding light and an audible voice. But Jesus got your attention. Maybe it was something significant. So share who you were without Jesus, before Jesus. Share how Jesus got your attention. And we were reminded as Paul challenged us in that text to, to, that we are all called to share that story. That we are all called as Christians, we are all commanded to share that hope. And our individual stories, they do have a place. So when our story, when it points to Jesus, it matters. So what's your story? And are you telling a story that matters? In the second week, we learned from Philippians chapter 3 that if we want to be effective in sharing the hope that we have, we need to have a passion for Jesus, that we should pursue him, pursue Jesus with passion, and we need to look ahead and forget the past, that if we want to share him with passion, we have to follow him with passion. Last week, Pastor Eric gave us a challenge to share our hope, that our hope is Jesus, and he has promised us his presence, and he has promised us an eternity in heaven. His encouragement when we're feeling hopeless was a five-part process. He encouraged us to know who we are in Jesus, to choose to live as one of God's kids, to trust that God is going to provide every need that we have, to live joyfully with with an eye that is focused steadily on eternity, and to pray for daily opportunities to share that hope. And today we're going to finish up this series with a reminder that this life of living on mission, it has a price tag. And this whole series is designed on purpose for a specific reason, to focus us on the things that Christ has called us and commanded us to be focused on. And I don't want to discourage anyone this morning, but if, if I were to ask you, when is the last time that you shared the hope that you have with someone who needs that hope, what would your answer be? 
And maybe some of you would answer that with, oh, yes, I do it frequently and often. But maybe you would say, I, I'm on the struggle bus. I'm really challenged in this area of sharing the gospel and sharing the hope that we have. This series is designed with you in mind. And so it's not something that is elementary. It's one of the most important things that we will do as Christ followers. And so that's the purpose and the direction of this entire series. So if you're there in 1 Peter 1, we're going to read this text together, and we're going to come back to it a little bit later in the message. But Peter writes, starting in verse 13 of 1 Peter 1, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former, former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So don't close your Bible, keep it open. We're going to come back. But maybe, I want to ask, maybe, did you grow up as the oldest child in your family? How many oldest kids do we have in the room this morning? So there's a few of you in the room. So I'm an oldest child, and, but it, so it's very possible that you are reminded often as the oldest child that your younger siblings, if you have them, were watching you. When you would do something disrespectful or you'd be disobedient, you would hear those words from your parents. They would say, son, you're setting a poor example for your little sister or for your brother, whatever it would be, and you would internally roll your eyes. Or if you were dumb like me, sometimes it would happen externally, and you would get in trouble. But we heard those words. As a dad, I have said those exact words to my children, specifically my older ones. But even as an, as an adult, I don't always set the right example to those who are watching me, who are observing my life. And here's what we all know, that people really are watching us. Whether they're intending to or not, their eyes see us, our coworkers see us, our family members see us, and we are setting some type of an example all the time. So the question is, how can we set a better example? And that question actually comes with a lot of pressure, doesn't it? I mean, that can be a major task, <laughs> setting the right example or setting a better example. What is a good example, by the way? What does setting a good example look like, and how do we make it happen? That point alone of setting a good example could, could take up weeks worth of sermons, but my hope today is I want to give you something that you can use in the weeks and in the days ahead as we live for the honor and the glory of Jesus and setting an example that points people in his direction. In our verses today, Peter is challenging several churches in Asia Minor to be ready for anything by preparing their minds for action beforehand. Something is coming for these people, and Peter is encouraging them to prepare for action. And persecution is on this list. Jesus knew 
that they were going to suffer because of the gospel, and, and he knew it was in their future. He knew it was coming for them. When Jesus saves someone, and, he, and, and when someone truly gives their, their hearts and their lives to Jesus, that change is so real that the watching world can't help but notice. That life is now observed and it's now being shared. And this was certainly the case for these early church believers here in Asia Minor. So Peter reminds them of, of who they are now because of Jesus Christ and the change that he's made. They, they have a new identity and they have a brand new purpose in this life. And the same is true for us. The same is true for you. As Christ's followers, we have... We have a genuine reason to be joyful even as we encounter hardships and persecution. We are blessed with his presence, his spirit, and the future hope of heaven. But this process of sharing our life like it was for the readers in these churches has, has several steps to it, several key elements to it. So look back at verse 13. Paul says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. So prepare your mind. Are you prepared today? Are you prepared for action? Are you prepared even for persecution? Now, I'm not trying to discourage you this morning, but persecution and hardship will come your way at some point because of your faith. Following Jesus can be and is actually not an easy thing to do. Following Jesus is hard, and we will, we will never likely experience the type of persecution that these readers here in Asia Minor are about to experience, that some believers in our world are even experiencing right now. We're don't, we don't live in fear today like they did back then of, of, of our lives when we gather together where there's no fear of militia raiding this building this morning and taking our lives for following Jesus. But there will be sacrifices that each and every one of us will more than likely have to make. Things that feel as if we're missing out on. Things, you know, political or, you know, social or cultural consequences. Those types of things we may suffer. And I say that's a price that's, that's fair to pay for all that we've been given by Jesus. If we are imitating Christ as we are asked to do, we should be different. Now, I'm not talking about all the legalistic things that other people decide that you should do or not do as a good Christian. I'm talking about what we see Jesus and those who were spirit-inspired saying that we should do and not do. Not my words or anyone else's. The text says today to prepare your minds for action. And it continues. It says, and being sober-minded. Now, I grew up in a systematic, a legalistic systematic where this, this verse was used to say, hey, this means you can't touch alcohol. That's not actually what this verse says. In the Greek, this is worded a little different. It means to keep sober in the spirit. 
So what comes to mind when you hear the word sober? Or you could easily imagine the opposite. Peter is saying that we need to keep calm and be collected. When, not if, we suffer pain and persecution. It's easy to respond in ways that are totally human. It's easy to freak out. It's easy to, to, when we see all the sick and the evil things that are happening in our culture, many of us want to want to react. And sometimes those reactions are not calm reactions. I know that's not what I feel. I don't necessarily feel a, a calm reaction to most of the things that are happening in our world. I get it. And I think most of you would agree when injustice is happening around me, I, I want to start fighting. But Peter isn't telling his readers to lay down and neglect the fight. That's not what he's saying. He reminds them to prepare for action and stay calm while doing it. Verse 13 has another challenge connected to it. It says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we fix our hope. Pastor Eric reminded us last week that, that, our, that our hope is and should be on the person of Jesus Christ. So as you sit there in your seat this morning, and as I was studying this for this message, I, I had this question written down in my journal. Is my hope set on him? Is your hope this morning set on him? So Peter tells us to set our hope fully on grace, but how do we set our hope on grace? What does that mean? What is he trying to say? And, and, and this, this really, it seems to be a question of our mindset and where we turn when confusion, suffering, and hardships come our way. So where do we find true meaning for living? What's going to fill the emptiness that every human feels from time to time? What is taking up residence in our hearts? What is getting our focus, our energy, and our thoughts? The people around us, what do they see in us? How do they see us respond to trouble and hardship? And are, are we living a life that displays a hope that is set fully on him and his grace. And if Peter is right, and we believe that he is because he was inspired by God to write these words, then we know that those who truly repented of their sin and called on Jesus to save them will be resurrected just like Jesus when all is said and done. That God is guarding our future. It is secure. And knowing that truth, that there is no place, that, that, and knowing that truth, that we are secure, there is no place else where we should set our hope today. Nothing else makes better sense. We will be totally let down by anything and everything else other than him. And that's what I'm supposed to say to you this morning. But I don't always feel it. And I don't always believe it, but it's still true. Because Jesus is alive, and Jesus did make me alive, and Jesus is actively involved in our world, and he is coming back, and that is an extension of God's amazing, beautiful grace 
that he has given to us. So we let the life that we live reflect the hope that we have. But let's not ignore what we all know. Even the strongest Christian can find it difficult to even move through these hardships and fix our hope on those days. Because here's here's how I feel about it. When will that day ever come? When will the day come when Jesus returns for us? Will I ever be, will we ever be free from this dark world and all of its pressure? That's what I feel. That's the cry of my heart. And those are real human emotions. And I think God understands them. And I don't believe he condemns us for those thoughts either. But he knows there's a better way. It's a choice that we make. We choose to set our hope on him. It's a choice that you have to make every single moment that you're challenged. This is something that we, that we do on purpose. Peter says, prepare for action. So what do we do? Well, we can pray and we can ask God to help us control our minds and our thoughts. If we choose to set our hope on anything but Christ, we can be distracted so easily by this false hope that this world can offer us. And that's the wrestling match I think that we all play. This world promises us something that it can never deliver on. Jesus can deliver, but yet it doesn't look flashy enough for us. The world promises us so many things, yet it never actually delivers, which is why we're constantly setting our hope on something new. Yet Jesus is always right there. He's always right here. He's right there with us. He never changes. He's always the hope that is enough, yet we forget. And that's part of the schemes that our enemy Satan plays on our hearts. You see, in the shadow of God's grace, we should stop living like we used to. Verse 14 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. I don't think anyone would like Paul if he was here today. Like, you're an idiot. That's what he would say. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Everyone has a pre and post Jesus life. Regardless of how old you were when you were saved, we all have a time when we didn't know what the truth actually was. A time when we didn't understand what what real life actually looked like. When we were in opposition to the ways of Christ, following our own desires, working to please ourselves, that's what every person in this room has in common pre-Jesus and even post-Jesus for some of us, for all of us actually. You see, before Jesus saved you, you lived to gratify your own heart at any cost. And depending on how old you were when you were saved, you may have a life full of poor decisions and regret and baggage, but that was the old you. That is connected to your former ignorance, the passions of your past. But because of Jesus, that has now changed. And Peter says, now we should live as obedient children. Can you think of a child you know who is obedient this morning? 
Maybe it's yours, maybe it's someone else's. And I'm just choosing not to make any personal comments right now. (laughs) But isn't that something that's such a blessing to see? It really impacts me when I see kids, sometimes my own, sometimes not, who are just mannerly and respectful, and they obey the first time. It's impressive, and it's significant, and that's supposed to represent us as Christ followers. We have been adopted by the God of the universe who came to this world through the person of Jesus, and we are now his children. We have the ability to obey what God commands us to do. When we don't, it's because we have chosen our own way. But we need to now live up to who we are now. So let the life we live reflect the hope that we have. Don't conform to the passions of your former self. That person is dead. You are new. So follow a different pattern. The details are laid out for us in verse 15. They don't seem like the, big, the best details, but they are they're beautiful words. It says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Now this verse has the potential to be extremely intimidating if you know what the word holy really means. But if we read this through a negative lens, we can believe that God is asking for complete perfection out of you and me. But this is about the believer's constant journey toward personal holiness. We call it in the church sanctification. This process of continually being set apart from this world. So our identity is now changed because of Jesus and his life, and it affects the way that we live. We are saved, and we are secure to the end, and we are able to obey him, and we set our minds and our hope on a God who is completely set apart from everything else in this world. This verse isn't teaching that we can be sinless people, but we have been remade to be set apart in our conduct on this side of eternity. Because of Jesus, we can and must live as a holy people. And if we connect this to sharing the story that we all have to share, the story of the gospel and how Jesus has changed us, this process of holiness is the only thing that will make us successful in our endeavors of sharing this hope that we have. We belong to Jesus, and we should live like people who belong to Jesus. Yes, we will fail, but we are able to be set apart. Verse 16, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Prepare your mind, fix your hope. I want to continue this theme of conduct for just a minute. I know we've talked about this several times over the last couple of months, but it's, it's, it's something that I think we need to always be working on and watching out for as we follow our Savior, that our conduct is a reflection of the gospel's work in our hearts. Paul says this in Philippians 1. He says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear 
of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So watch your conduct. This word for conduct in the Greek, in the Greek language, it means to behave like a citizen or to recognize the law, or to make a pledge. Live a life worthy of the gospel. Watch how you live. Watch your conduct. We need to have a way that we walk, a way that we behave. We also need to have a way that we speak, a way that we talk to one another, and a way that we talk to this watching world. What we say to people matters. What we do around people matters, and those two should be consistent. They should be connected to the gospel and how it's changed us. This word walk, it shows up all over the New Testament, but it has a very distinct meaning when used in in the context that Paul and Peter will use them in the New Testament. In Ephesians 4, Paul writes that church and he says that, that he's a prisoner of the Lord, but then he urges them to walk in a manner that's worthy of the gospel, a calling that they have been called to. They have all been called to walk the same walk. I am not called to walk a different walk than any single person in this room. We are all called to walk the same walk. The Greek word that Paul uses here, it doesn't mean to just take steps. It means how we conduct our life. It's about yourself. It's a word for our lifestyle, our behavior, and our actions. You see, if we're building our lives on the foundation of the gospel, we must watch our conduct. We need to walk in a way that is consistent with the gospel. So what do people see in us? What do people who are far from God in your circles see in you? Do they see a group of people who are walking step by step with the Savior? We have been called to walk that way. Every believer has been called to that. And by God's grace, we have been saved and enabled to walk that way. Ephesians 1.13 reminds us that those who put their faith and trust in him are in him. And that phrase, in him, just means that we belong to Jesus. That when we hear and we believe, we are marked in him and we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And he now lives inside of us and enables us to do the work that he's called us to do. This walk is for all of us. Maybe I could say that again. This walk is for each and every person in the room today. The people around us who are far from God should see him in us. There's actually nothing more important than that. There's nothing that should get our allegiance. There's nothing that should get our full attention. There's nothing that should take more space on our calendar than this. I love what Paul says in Ephesians 5. He tells the Ephesians to be careful how they live and to not live like fools, but to live like wise people and to make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. To not live in a thoughtless way, but to understand what God wants them to do. Peter gives another great reminder to stay the course and following this challenge to pursue Jesus with all that we have in the second chapter of 1 Peter He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable 
so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Maintain your testimony. You could insert the word reputation there. I just thought testimony was a better word to use. Maintain your testimony. No matter what happens, maintain a life that honors Jesus Christ. Not you, not your ideals, not your feelings about things, but Christ. I love how the NLT and the NIV word these verses. The NLT says, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. The NIV says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. But the verse prior to verse 12 in 1 Peter 2 He tells his readers to keep away from the sin that they want to do. And there's a reason Peter gives this challenge. Because verse 12 just told us, people are watching. So let the life we live reflect the hope we have. This takes us all the way back to the beginning of this message with that question of what kind of example are we setting We live in this world, but we live as strangers. And this verse brings us back to the idea of persecution. The New Testament tells us that this world is ruled by Satan and his demons. He is called the prince and the power of the air. And although his power is temporary, this is where much of our suffering comes from in this life. The world calls evil good and good evil, and Jesus even told his disciples that they would face trouble and persecution in this life because of him and the gospel. Here's what Jesus says in John 15. He says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. We should remember those words. But you are no longer part of this world. I chose you to come out of this world, so it hates you. And then he says to the disciples, do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. We live in this world, but the world does not love us, people. Satan and his demons, the darkness in this world, they don't love you. But Jesus does. And this hatred for Christians, it shouldn't surprise us. But we should not fear. Because we have a defense system. We focus on leading lives that please God. And we make Jesus-influenced choices. And Peter is reminding us that these choices matter. They make a difference. The world is watching, and we don't know whose soul is going to be eternally affected for the good or for the bad in some part because of our testimony. So maintain your testimony. It actually does matter. Let the life we live reflect the hope that we have. So we share our passion, we share our hope. 
and we share our life. We give it all up for Christ and his mission. It's a worthy task, so prepare your mind. We are doing the work of preparing our minds for action beforehand. Before the battle begins, we prepare for the fight that's ahead of us. We fix our hope. We set our hope on Christ and on grace. We watch our conduct. We are determined people to pursue personal holiness of being set apart, and we maintain our testimony. We strive to maintain and stay mindful of it because this life we live should reflect the hope that we have. Our church is on a mission to build, share, and bring. A mission that is straight from the mouth of Jesus Christ. We see it in John 4. And we, are, and we as a church, we want to desperately model what we do and call those who make up his body to follow that example. So we build the relationship, we share the story, and we bring the people. So don't miss next week for part one of a new series called Bring. God brought us the greatest gift. But this week, the challenge is simple. Let your life reflect the hope that you have. Prepare your mind, fix your hope, watch your conduct, maintain your testimony. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a personal, ongoing, active relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to encourage you to get that settled. You can find me at the end of the service. You can talk to somebody next to you. We would love to have a conversation with how you can know Jesus as your Savior and be promised this hope in heaven and abundant life here on this earth now. So find me at the door at the end of the service or down front at any point, wherever you are, find me. There's no better conversation that I want to have than one about Jesus and the gospel. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we are thankful this morning for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, we're thankful for this challenge this morning from Peter to prepare our minds and fix our hope and watch our conduct and maintain our testimony. God, I pray that we would be people who are living a life that reflects the hope that we have. God, help us to be on mission in this world because there's nothing else that matters more. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.